This is The Art of Charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new to the show, but you want to know more about what we teach here at AOC Live Programs in LA, check out the toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals like body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, business networking, negotiation, all that stuff we wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. Our live programs run every week here in Los Angeles, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp or... Give us a call here in the office, 888-413-7177, or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today, we're talking with Mark Goodman of Future Crimes. He is a former cop. He spent a career in law enforcement and technology, but the main difference in today's show is, you know how I thank the Jasons at the end of each show? Today, I got one of the Jasons co-hosting the show with me. Say hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. Yeah, okay. Well, you're new here, so it's okay. Why, why did I let you do this again? Uh, because besides being the chief techno plate spinner for the Art of Charm, I also have my own technology podcast, and I've been in this business for 20-some-odd years, so I have a little tech chops behind me to uh, talk about. How long have you been podcasting, though? I've been podcasting for coming on two and a half years, okay. I believe. Yeah. Okay, so you should be approximately one-third as good at the nah, one-fourth <laughs> as good at, <laughs> all right i'm just kidding uh thank you for your expertise you guys will see that jason actually has quite a bit to say sometimes uh that is very enlightening and so i'm glad to have him here on this what did we talk about with mark he was an interesting dude i mean there's a ton here we talked about how technology the internet of things is going to slowly take over your life whether you like it or not how everything is online how things are computers that you don't know are computers and how that can either bite you in the butt slash make your life easier. And also we've got some kind of cool horror stories and uh, possible ways of humanity's downfall, you know, a la Skynet, but also what we can do to protect ourselves from some of these future threats. But personally, I just find this stuff kind of interesting and, and cool. Yeah, we did at least get a really good checklist after all the doom and gloom talk that we're all going to die in a fiery robo-apocalypse to actually protect ourselves. So that was fun. But yeah, the stories are really good. And a lot of it is about the Internet of Things and how all this ubiquitous computing is permeating every aspect of our lives. I mean, in the future, your underwear is going to have an IP address, you know? Awesome. I Mine, mine might already. Actually, that would be cool because then I would know where the hell it is. I could track it online. Find my, you've heard of find my iPhone? How about find your car keys, which exists, or or just, yeah, find that pair of underwear that you thought you had packed, and it turns out it's at home in the dryer. So enjoy this one with Mark Goodman. 
So you've had a long career in law enforcement and technology. How do you have a career in law enforcement and technology? Because all my cop friends are like, is that one of them smartphones? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's funny you say that. I worked with every one of those guys. So I started out as a street cop and then worked as an investigator. And I always sort of thought technology was cool, but it was expensive and out of my reach. And then I was working as an investigator with the Los Angeles Police Department. This would have been in the mid-1990s. And I got my first uh, computer crime case, uh, which sort of is what brought me into the tech world. But the funny thing is, is how I got it. I was working in the detective squad room and my lieutenant screamed my name across the squad room. Goodman, get your ass over here. And I thought that I was in trouble. And my lieutenant asked me a question that ended up changing my life. He said to me, hey, I got a question for you. Do you know how to spell check in Word Perfect? And I said, sure, boss, shift F2. And he goes, you know how to do that? I said, yes. He says, I knew you were my guy. I got a case for you. So the fact that I could spell check in Word Perfect. That was the qualifier. That was it. Literally, like that made me amongst the techno elite of cops back in the 1990s. And then I've just been doing it ever since. That case led to other cases, which certainly led to my interest in technology. Involved a lot of misspelled words, I would imagine. Yeah. Yes. I was just saying, so that one case led to lots of other cases, of course. And as the technology changed, I did my best to keep up. And then what I realized is it was changing way faster than the cops were. And that's what led me to write the book, Future Crimes. Um, because we think of the cyber threats today and when we think of computer crime, but that's just the very beginning of where these threats are taking us. Yeah, I went to the Counterterrorism Summit a while ago sponsored by Halo Corporation, and it was awesome, but I remember being there and being in like an iPhone hacking class, and I was like, this is going to be so awesome. And what they showed us was how to jailbreak your phone, and I think the other thing was like hiding apps in the phone, and I was like, okay, duh, now when are we going to hack this phone? And then before we were even finished with that, how to hack the phone, there were so many questions. Not that like cops are so dumb they don't know how to do anything. I mean, it's a technical skill, but they were asking so many questions about all of the the phone hacking stuff that we didn't even finish that. And I was like, we didn't even install the program that lets you look at stuff in the phone. Everything we did was so easy. And I started to talk to some cops who were asking questions more advanced questions or more involved questions. And I was like, you know, you guys are really interested in this. What's up with that? And they're like, yeah, you know, we get these phones all the time in the agency that we work with and we've got to look through the whole thing and we're looking for like code words. I'm guessing they were probably like DEA or something like that. And they can't find anything and they find stuff that looks like it's probably something, but it's all just garbled mess. And I started helping those guys out with some really basic stuff, hooked them up with people I know that are really technical And they started finding images with codes embedded in the images that were like super, super high resolution. Yes, that's called steganography. Yeah. Hiding a secret code in an image. That was cool. I'd heard of that before, but like only in movies. No, it definitely happens in real life and it's been going on for some time. Going back to law enforcement, you know, you need to realize that particularly at the state and local level, they have a very, very tough job. There's lots of demands uh, on their time and attention. And when you've got drive-by shootings and domestic violence and you can't even handle the calls that you've got now, it's very difficult to keep up with the technology, particularly with limited budgets. Police departments don't receive uh, hardly any 
budget for training of police officers on high-tech crime, and there are very few officers in most cities that work on this. Because when people call up the mayor's office, they call up and they complain about those kids and their loud music or spray painting or cars double parked. Rarely do people call up and say, hey, you know, uh, I got a virus. I, I dialed 911 because I got a virus. I want you to send a police car, right? That's not how it works. So it's really quite a complex issue. But what I would say is, to your point, is that as fast as technology is iterating, if you think the cops are having uh, difficulty with iPhones today, you should see where these technological trends are going because soon we will have the Internet of Things, we will have ubiquitous robotics, artificial intelligence, synthetic biology, um, and many, many other tools uh, from a technological perspective that are entering our world, and we're just at the earliest days of this. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, you're talking to a guy who puts a little piece of rubber and slash tape over his iMac Macintosh like camera, even though there's the odds are really slim. But I went to DEF CON and spoke and then Black Hat and some of my friends are like the guys that work for NSA or former NSA and they can turn that thing on slash at least the microphone part in two seconds. And I'm like, well, if you're going to hear me doing something I shouldn't be doing, I at least I definitely don't want you to see it. I agree. That's that's definitely one of the tips I talk about is to make sure to cover up your car, camera. And what people don't realize is that the camera can be on both on your phone or on your laptop or nowadays even on your television and the little light won't go on. So uh, you think that the camera's off, but in fact it's on and it's recording. And there was a famous case of Miss Teen America who got hacked just like that 17-year-old girl called Cassidy Wolf. You know, she had her laptop open in the bedroom. She came out of her bathroom shower and was filmed uh, naked a number of times. And then after six months, she got an email message in her inbox uh, with those photographs. And the person said, if you don't have on camera sex with me, I'm going to release this to all your friends on Facebook. Oh, my God. Yeah, obviously, she freaked out. She slammed down her laptop. And then she did something which a lot of people don't do, which is she actually called the FBI in many of these cases, those people that are extorted succumb to those types of threats and they give in and, you know, with really bad results. In this case, the FBI got involved. They found out that this was a pattern, that there were many women who were being extorted like this. And at the end of the day, they discovered that was one of her classmates who had done it. Of course. Uh, yes, of course. And how he did it was really fascinating. You know, you were talking about the skill sets of hackers and going to conferences like DEF CON and Black Hat. Um, definitely, it is a unique skill set to be a hacker. And some of the best people in the world are deeply, deeply technologically talented. But one of the things that is happening today is that hacking is becoming simplified. It's just kind of point and click these days. So you've heard of software as a service. Right, like script kitties is what we call them, where exactly. you just get a program and you're like, hey, check out this Christmas card with music in it. And then you're like, I can control your computer now. Exactly, exactly. And by the way, it's not just script kitties. Those software or crimeware, as it's called, this is uh, software that commits crime. They're actually programs that, you know, just like Microsoft Office or Skype, that will go out there and commit crime for you. And that's what happened in the Cassidy Wolf case. This was, I believe, a tool called Black Shades. And it's something you can buy online and allow you to commandeer somebody's camera, do keystroke logging, and all these other types of attacks. And it's really sophisticated. And this kid just bought it, sent, as you pointed out, an email to Cassidy Wolf. She clicked on the wrong thing and then was infected. It's definitely a challenge. Jeez. Good thing nobody cares about seeing me naked. Thank goodness.
If you look at me naked, don't come to me crying about the consequences. <laughs> so to go back to the law enforcement angle, how are we going to be training law enforcement in the future if the crimes haven't been committed yet and they can't like find budget to train on? Well, I mean, this is the fundamental problem, right? So will we talk about this just to talk about some of the new crimes that are coming and then I'll talk about the implications for law enforcement. So people today think that we have t uh, this big technological revolution, that there's technology all around us and the pace of technology is so great. And I think what most people don't get is that we are at the first minutes of the first hours of the first days of this technological and internet revolution, right? If you think we have a lot of devices now, uh, that field of technology is going to explode in the future. And it comes down to the internet and the internet protocols and the internet of things. So to put it in perspective today on the internet, we use something called internet protocol four. It's kind of like an address book for the internet and it can support about four and a half billion simultaneous connections. Uh, but we've run out of space. So in the same way New York City or Los Angeles had to split into different area codes because we ran out of phone numbers. The same has happened on the internet. And so to respond, we're increasing and moving forward uh, to what's called internet protocol version six. To put that in perspective, rather than four and a half billion connections, it will go ahead and maintain 78 octillion simultaneous Connections. Now, I didn't know what the hell an octillion was. Right. I had to look it up. It's 78 billion, billion, billion. But here's the metaphor that I use so that folks can actually grasp this. Today's internet is metaphorically the size of a golf ball. The one that we'll have just a few years from now will be the size of the sun. Oh, my We're God. Going from an internet, a golf ball size internet, that's what we have today, to one the size of the sun in the next three years. That means that every car, kid, computer, phone, television, coffee pot, elevator, airplane, every physical object in our space is going online. And that's what's called the Internet of Things. Right. Starting with your thermostat, though. Exactly. Yeah. Like a nest, something like a nest, you know, fire alarms or smoke alarms. All of that is going online. Our clothes is going to have RFID tags in it, the hub Bluetooth and near field communication, right? So every physical object, even our clothing, our shoes, wearables, embeddables, implantables, ingestibles, all of these computers will be people that are in computers, right? Elevators are computers we ride in, cars are computers we ride in, planes are computers we fly in, and pacemakers are computers that we implant in ourselves. So if you think we have a lot of technology in our life today, stand by to stand by because it's going to explode. And my point is, when we add all of these new devices to the internet, something very interesting happens. One, there'll be lots of cool and interesting things that develop. There'll be lots of economic uh, development as a result of this. New companies will be formed. It'll be amazing in a lot of ways. But the one way that most people who are proponents of the IoT or Internet of Things don't talk about is the security aspect. So Right now, our threat surface area, it's kind of a security term, means a number of different places where people can reach out and hack us, is quite limited, right? You don't have to worry about your hairdryer being hacked today, about your dresser, about your pet. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Mostly it's your computers at work, at home, your phone. But slowly but surely, these new devices are being added. And so our threat surface area is expand to Cisco. We're going to add 50 billion new things to the internet by 2020 and intel corporation the computer chip company is even more bullish they say 200 billion devices 
uh, which is you know way way more than we have people on this planet, will be added by 2020. Uh, which means that things that were never hackable will be. Oh wow, yeah, because right now if you, you can't really hack the control of an airplane, but once you know once people are like, hey, these things should just totally fly themselves, like our new self-driving cars. Yeah, because then there's no pilot error. It's like, oh well, unless somebody decides to play with their, you know, their new script or whatever, their new kind of hacking weapons and stuff like that. I mean, that right. stuff would be the hacking weapon is the worst term ever. But you know <laughs> what I mean? It's early, man, uh, and it's Sunday for God's sake. Stars, Chinese throwing star hacking weapons. Yes. Yeah. It, Just to but, go back to the airplane for a second, I cite an example in Future Crimes where. On several occasions, not just was an airplane hacked, but also the air traffic control system. So some person on a flight on a particular airline was able to use the entertainment system at their seat, plug in a USB uh, drive, which, uh, you know, there was a USB port at their seat. And through that, according to one news story, were able to get in through the plane, through, you know, get to the Linux uh, kernel behind the entertainment system and go beyond that into what they called the flight management system, the planes, engines and speed and altitude and all of that stuff. And even the FAA, the Department of Transportation, Inspector General put out a study that showed some huge number of what they call critical flaws in the nation's air traffic control system. So all of these things are hackable. And it even has implications for our privacy. I'm not sure if you heard about the Samsung television issue the other day, the privacy issues that came up with that. No, what's that? So in the UK, Samsung, I don't know why they did this, but uh, you know uh, they have all of these smart TVs out there and people have been connecting their TVs to the internet for a long time so that they can get services like Hulu or Netflix. But now um, Samsung has come up with a television that's got a built-in camera so you, know, you can do Skype calls with it and it also is voice interactive. So now your television has a microphone rather than pushing buttons on a remote control, which is a tremendous amount of exercise. <laughs> Yeah, Americans cannot deal with that. We're not trying not trying to get a workout over here. Now you can sit in your lazy boy, eat your ice cream, and just talk to your television, and it will change the channels for you. But what Samsung did just about a week ago was they put out a notice to their customers in the UK that warned them, please be careful of what you say in front of your television. It is listening at all times, and we're processing your voice commands and sending them to third parties to do voice recognition. So if there's something you don't want us to process, don't say it in front of your TV. Back to more with Mark Goodman. And I'd be like, oh, no problem. I solved this issue by launching my TV out on a third street through my front window. Exactly. You're throwing it off the balcony, right? So you and your wife or your boyfriend are hanging out in the bedroom and talking about whatever you're talking about. And your TV is listening to that. And by the way, when you have one of those TVs in your boardroom and you're discussing your plans for the next quarter, your customer list or your strategy for your startup, your TV could be listening to that, too. Yeah, that explains why last time I turned on my TV and it was like, you are the most boring person in the world. <laughs> yeah, well. Don't you ever shut up, Jordan. 
the interesting thing about that is, is that, you know, this is what it's the terms and servicization of the world. So back in the day, a TV was just a TV. Now a TV, the first time you launch it, you have to agree to the terms and conditions of service, which grants Samsung and other companies the right to go ahead and record you with the microphone built into the television. And then meanwhile, you're just trying to watch Game of Thrones on your flight and you end up crashing the plane. You should try to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Wow, that's scary. I I thought for sure, like, this is just a computer that's basically running, like, you know, 300 instances of Chrome OS or something that's, you know, or some Linux kernel thing that plays the movies. Why would it it seems like it would be less convenient to wire that into any other system on the plane just because it would add this this unnecessary level of complication. And meanwhile, they're like, you know what we should do? Let's just hook all this stuff together. What could go wrong? Yeah. So I have a whole section of the book. Uh, basically devoted to things not to connect to the internet. Uh, The book is called Future Crimes. Everything is connected, everyone is vulnerable, and what we can do about it. And the everything connected is a thing that I don't think most people have quite grokked just yet. Because again, we think about computers and we think about phones, but we don't think about airplanes. So the challenge with a case like an airplane is, is that you have hundreds and hundreds of systems that do everything from fuel management to flight management to entertainment, bathrooms, temperature, and they're all linked together one way or another. Even though they've tried to segment out the systems, they always bleed and leak over. And I'll give you some great examples of that. You know, in the modern automobile today, any car produced past 2000 has at least 200 computer chips in it. And those computer chips control everything from the airbag to your radio system to the GPS navigation to your ABS braking system. And those are now increasingly connected to the net and can be hacked remotely. So you talked about DEF CON earlier. There are hackers at DEF CON that were able to go ahead and push down on the acceleration pedal of a car remotely to slam on its brakes, to deploy its airbags. So again, these are computers that we ride in, and I would encourage people to expand their view of what a computer is. Uh, And going back to the point of how things are connected in ways we don't understand, two great examples there. I'm sure you guys heard of the Target hack against the Target stores last Christmas. My buddy is actually the, (laughs) I haven't talked to him in a while, I should say maybe it was at the time, I don't know, the head of info security for Target. Right, Jordan, we had talked about that last time. Yeah, he didn't sleep for a month and a half or something. Yes, probably not. And all the security folks there ended up getting invited to work in other positions elsewhere as a result of that incident. But one of the things that most people don't know is how the hackers got into the point of sale terminals. And maybe you guys know what happened. Didn't they get in through the the HVAC system? They got in through the air conditioning. That's exactly right. They hacked the cash registers through the air conditioning system. And I talk about this in future crimes too. I take people through how it all happened. But in a nutshell, the folks that Target decided that they wanted to uh, contract out all the heating and air conditioning for their stores across the country. And they hired a third party contractor to manage all of the heating and air conditioning, whether it be in Minneapolis or, you know, Tucson centrally. And so this third party air conditioning HVAC company was hacked. One of their employees clicked on the wrong email. And when he did, it infected his computer from the HVAC contracting vendor system, they were able to get into the target vendor system, into the main target network, into the target financial management network, into the target cash registers, into the target point of sale terminal. 
you talk about segmenting. Yes, you'd like to think these things are segment, but you know, it's kind of like your dinner plate at Thanksgiving. You put on the gravy and the peas and the carrots and the turkey and it kind of all meshes together and that's what's going on with our networks. It's anytime you have an open Wi-Fi port, the way that the internet works is, you know, somebody sitting on a smartphone in Nairobi, Kenya is somehow connected to a computer at MIT because it's just a matter of routing the bits in the right direction. So that target hack, by the way, was carried out by a 17-year-old kid in Moscow using a piece of crimeware that he did not write but instead purchased. So that target hack, this is the other thing that I point out in the book, is that our amount of crime is scaling, and it's scaling exponentially, which goes back to the law enforcement challenge that we were talking about. Wow, that's friggin' terrifying. That like I can't even get Jason and I just spent hours trying to connect all this Skype stuff. It's not Jason's fault. It's mostly mine. And meanwhile, somebody can get into. I need to hire that kid to set up my audio setup if he can go through air conditioners and get people's credit card numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And he's still not in custody. So you know, maybe you can hire him. Yeah, well, I'm sure Russia was like, <laughs> you idiots. They weren't about to arrest that kid. Yeah, we're we're keeping this kid for sure. Yeah, exactly. No, he's not in custody. He works for the FSB now. That is most likely true, that there is some connection there. You know, in that target hack, over 100 million people had their accounts compromised. So that's kind of the big paradigm shift in crime uh, that I talk about in future crimes. The old day, if you wanted to rob somebody, take a gun or a knife, hide in a dark alley and point it at someone, get their wallet or their purse and you take off. That was a one-on-one -on -one affair. Today, one person can rob 100 million people. One third of America was robbed by one kid. That's the fundamental shift that's going on with all of these new technologies. Well, the upside of these, uh, these high-profile hacks is that it, it's bringing awareness to the industry so we can kind of at least move in the right direction. Like last week, the, there was the Senate report on the automobile industry with how terrible security is. Like BMW had to do over-the-air updates for their cars, and at least it's bringing, I think, awareness to the, the issues, and I think your book will do the same thing. I hope so. You know, awareness is a great first step. People sometimes ask me, Mark, when are the public going to finally wake up and realize, you know, how dangerous this is? You know, do we need a Pearl Harbor for cyber before people will care? And I'd say, you know, we've had quite a few very high profile events, whether it was the Sony hack, the Sony PlayStation hack, uh, what happened with Target, or most recently the Anthem Blue Cross hack, where 80 million patient records leaked, right? 80 million patient records leaked as, the, as a result of the Anthem Blue Cross hack. And so there is a ton of attention, but I have to say it's going to take some very different thinking that we're using currently. President Obama two days ago was out at Stanford University and he gave a whole summit on cybersecurity. And I actually looked at what was said there and in his State of the Union address, he, he promised that he was going to um, go ahead and finally get serious about cybersecurity. And, and this is nonpartisan, but I did analysis of the State of the Union address and it was 6,600 words of which 108 were dedicated to cyber threats. And most of the things that the president was calling for were enhanced penalties for identity thieves. Now, I think information sharing is great. I think, you know, longer jail sentences, you know, for criminal hackers is fine. But uh, as I wrote in an op-ed piece, grand thinking created the internet. Small thinking is not going to save it, right? We have a really fundamental problem, and that is there has never been built a computer system that could 
cannot be hacked. Every computer, every chip, every piece of software is hackable. And yet we're building our society, the future of humanity, quite frankly, on the critical infrastructures, bridges, tunnels, financial uh, networks, hospitals, 911 dispatch systems. All of these things require computers to operate the energy grid most obviously as well. And it's all hackable. There's, we don't have anything uh, which is trustworthy computing. And so that's a really big problem we need to solve in the last two chapters of Future Crimes. I go through some of those grand steps that we need to take to actually make a difference. I, I agree awareness is a great step, but it's going to take a lot more. Right. I mean, even looking at the Iranian nuclear thing, right? They had that Stuxnet worm. Exactly. And that went in there. That was like custom created for their software, for their hardware. And it was designed to hide itself, not just so that you couldn't see like people think, oh, hide itself like a file in a desktop that's invisible. It's like, no, that thing was putting out fake data. It was showing fake input and weird sort of like all kinds of false information so that they thought everything was working just fine or burning through stuff. I don't even know the whole background on it. Yeah, that's a great description, Jordan. Actually, that was the Stuxnet attack. It was carried out against the Iranian nuclear power plant in Natanz. The Iranians claim that they're creating peaceful nuclear energy. And of course, the West believes that they may be creating a nuclear weapon. So somebody, nobody's come forward and said it, but it looks as if the United States could have theoretically been involved, create a very specialized piece of malware, a computer uh, Trojan that got into that network, that industrial control system, and did exactly what you said, Jordan, which was it attacked the uranium centrifuges. So the centrifuges needed to spin at a very precise speed. Otherwise, the uranium that came out could not be used to build a nuclear weapon. And so those uh, centrifuges were sabotaged. Here's the interesting thing, and it's the point that you just made. As the Iranian engineers were looking at their screens in the control room that monitored all the centrifuges, everything across the board on the screens was green, 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 meaning that all systems were working everything was functioning just fine but the fascinating thing was is that those screens were hacked so even though the uranium centrifuges were spinning out of control and they were breaking on the screens that monitored them everything looked fine and this is kind of a modern version of a movie like Ocean's Eleven. So we've all seen those movies where the guys are going to go in and rob the place and they take a couple of minutes of video footage at, you know, that they can show to the security guy at the front desk, right? So they take the video footage, they loop it for five minutes and it keeps on playing on the, at the security center. Uh, monitoring station. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. For those of us that maybe haven't seen that movie, it'd be kind of like you're sitting in your car and you're like, you're gunning it. You're going 60 miles an hour on the highway and your speedometer's like, you're only going 25 miles an hour, man. You can speed up a little if you want. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. I feel like I'm really zooming along. And then, you know, you know the consequences from there. Only you can't obviously tell the speed of a uranium centrifuge like you could if you were sitting in a car. Yeah, that's a great example. I called that chapter, by the way, uh, about the Iranian Stuxnet uh, incident. I started off telling that story. The book is filled with story, story, story. So future crimes, the goal is to get all of this information into the public consciousness. So I did that by telling stories that people can relate to. And that chapter is called In Screen We Trust. You know, it used to be in God we trust on the dollar bill. Now it's in screen we trust. We believe all of the information that's presented around us at all times. So, you know, if the text message says it comes from your mom or your girlfriend, you'll think it comes 
from your mom or your girlfriend. If your speedometer says you're going 25 miles an hour, you'll believe it. And if the uranium centrifuge monitoring station says all systems are go, we believe that too. So this goes back to the issue of trustworthy computing. We have all of this data presented around us all the time, uh, and it's all hackable, right? So how do we know anything is real, right? Think about uh, your own phone. I don't know if you guys have an Android phone or an iPhone, um, but with any smartphone, have you guys ever called your bank from your phone? Yeah, and it's like, oh, hey, Jordan, thanks for calling. I, I mean, a lot of companies do it. Friggin' Domino's Pizza did it the first time. That's where I first saw that. I was like, wait, you don't know who I am? Well, yeah, this is Jordan, right? You're you know, blah, 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 San Francisco. And I was like, wow, I haven't ordered a pizza in three years, and now you know where I am just from my phone number. But the thing that made me worry about that, and it happens when I call places like American Express, and I actually found a loophole in American Express security that I brought to their attention via Twitter, which I'm sure they really appreciated that method. But <laughs> um, I just spoofed my phone number. Right, and exactly. Which is for the people out there who don't know, you just pretend you're calling from another phone. So I could call you from your mom's phone, theoretically, and you would pick up and go, Hello? And I'd go, hey, it's Jordan, just messing with you. I just knew you wouldn't pick up if you saw me on the caller ID, sucker. Where's my money? Or whatever, right? Exactly. So faking caller ID is super easy to do. You can just go online and do it. There are apps that will do it for you. So if you want the outbound call to be the White House, then you can make that happen. I was asking about you know, whether or not you had dialed your bank on your phone because we, most people, don't know how technology works, right? In the old days, very old days, if you had a dial phone, when you turned that dial, you knew the number you were dialing. But now, when you push a telephone number on your smartphone, it's just a computer. So if you dial 1-800-CITIBANK as an example, how do you know that that call is actually being routed to Citibank? Turns out hackers have created malware where they know the top uh, uh 100 banks, 800 numbers. So hackers know the 800 numbers of the top 100 banks. And if you get infected with certain malware, then they'll see that you're trying to dial Citibank or Wells Fargo, and they will route your call to a criminal call center instead. And they'll say, uh, what's your name? What's your account number? What's your password? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Your, our computers are down, and which they often are. And so you'll call back. And in the meantime, they're taking all your data and cleaning out your account. So the point is we live in a screen we trust culture. We don't understand how the technology works and so we just presume that it does because it's too complex otherwise. Wow, that's freaking scary. You know about spoofing phone numbers and stuff like that, that's fine, but it's kind of terrifying when you're looking at something like that and you're thinking, wait, I called my bank. It's not like they called me and I was like, hold on, I don't know who you are. If you call them and they still reroute your call, Honestly, if I got somebody from my bank that didn't speak English very well and had a strong Russian accent, I wouldn't even think twice because I'd be like, eh, it's Chase. It's all outsourced anyway, right? So all of these calls are being handled in India or the Philippines anyway. My business banker's name is Olga anyway. Right, exactly. You talk about the issue of caller ID. Um, you probably are familiar with swatting, if you've heard of that. Explain it. So swatting is, so this is a really scary flip side. So this is where people fake a caller ID and then dial 911. 
So you fake somebody's phone number from their house, so like Mr. Jones at 223 Main Street, and you use his phone number to dial 911, and then kids are doing this, right? So when I was a kid in high school, you'd call the pizza parlor and have, you know, 10 pies delivered to your friend's house or your friend's parents, and that was the big joke. Now what a lot of kids are doing is this swatting thing where they'll dial 911 and they'll scream, help, help, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, he's going to shoot me. And then they like let off some loud noise in the background before you know it 20 cop cars are showing up the SWAT team is there and they're kicking down Mr. Jones's door and he has no idea what's going on right he's eating a TV dinner like what the hell happened exactly and he's got his kids and his family there you know they're watching uh, you know as you said Game of Thrones and before you know it the SWAT cops are breaking through the door and a lot of celebrities have had this happen to them uh, in particular where their houses have been swatted because of this. So even the cops, going back to, again to the issue of police and technology, even the cops can be fooled by this. Oh, that's so awful. That's so lame. Can you talk about ruining your day? Well, actually, I mean, you could actually ruin somebody's life. So there have been several police officers who have been severely injured responding to these calls and gotten in crashes. And you can imagine one guy almost got killed because he's in his house. It's late at night and he starts hearing people outside the house. Then he sees a flashlight. You know, it's three o'clock in the morning. He thinks he's being robbed. He goes and gets his gun. And he's watching people crawl around outside. He steps out on the porch with his gun in hand. And now all these, you know, little red lasers from the SWAT team are pointed at his head. So and the guy was fast asleep and has no idea how he's been put into this situation. Oh, my God, that's a nightmare. Crazy. Oh, that's awful, man. Well, I should say it's a felony. Yeah. If you do it, I hope you get caught. How's that? As do I. Yeah. So going forward, we've we've been talking about all the doom and gloom stuff. How do you see this stuff, in some case at least, mitigated or fixed? Because we can't really rely on the government because the government's best interest is to have these holes so they can like have their cyber warfare divisions. Because if you even look at Stuxnet and the follow-up Dooku, you know, they wrote that. So it's sometimes not in their best interest to fix this thing. So can we rely on governments to you know, start finding these holes and protecting us? Or do we have to kind of look at technology, technology sector itself to help us? Yeah, that is a really excellent and insightful question. And what you're pointing out is the fact, at least in the United States, an organization like the NSA is dual hatted. So they are responsible for offensive cyber warfare that is breaking into the information systems of foreign governments to understand their plans and intentions, just as, you know, China and Russia and other countries break into the United States. But they're also responsible for cyber defense, right? So there's a schizophrenic um, nature to what they do. From the cyber defense side, they want the computer systems to be locked down and use good encryption so that we're protected. But the guys on the offensive side want those holes that they themselves can go out there and exploit to do their offensive attacks. So it is a challenge. What I would say is, you know, you talked about doom and gloom. I want to be really clear. I'm pointing out some of the obvious downsides of technology, but I'm a huge proponent of technology. I'm actually a techno-optimist. I teach at Singularity University in Silicon Valley, where everybody is quite positive about technology. And the fact of the matter is technology is going to make huge positive differences in the world, right? It's going to lift 2 billion people out of poverty 
It's going to help feed the world. It's going to get clean water in refined ways that were never possible previously, right? It's going to educate masses and masses of people. That Maasai warrior in Nairobi can literally, on his smartphone, use it to take a free MOOC online class at MIT. We'll have radical life extension. We'll reduce infant mortality. So our technological future is bright. The things that I point out in my book are the obvious roadblocks, right? This wonderful techno-utopia won't come to us for free because there are people like 17-year-old kids in Moscow, hackers elsewhere, and foreign governments, even terrorists, that are using and trying to use these technologies against us. So we can have that really bright technological future, but it's going to take intention in order for us to get there, and it's going to take work. And I will tell you that that future, that bright future, is not guaranteed unless we start taking a bunch of very serious steps very soon in order to drive us on the right course. I see that you work for Singularity University. Is some of your work there kind of geared towards this, you know, better future? What can we do to save the world? Well, that's a great question. In the last two chapters of the book, I call surviving progress. And the fact of the matter is progress seems great, but there are these challenges. So I talk about a number of different steps that we need to take at a high level. The first one is we need to have way better software. One of the reasons why all this hacking works is because most software is crap. It's full of bugs and easily exploitable. And I get that there are complexity issues and they're hard to do, but just Paying more attention to it would be a huge difference right now in Silicon Valley. The motto is just ship it, get the software out the door, we'll plug the holes later. And that's really dangerous. You know, if people built cars like that that crashed all over the place, there'd be tremendous liability for those deaths. And I think that we may see a point in the future when we see liability laws applied to software. Unfortunately, the terms of service that you click basically says that nobody's liable. So we need to fix our software. Beyond that, we need to have encryption everywhere. I talked about the 80 million records, patient records that were stolen from Anthem Blue Cross. Shockingly, amazingly, those were unencrypted, right? If those records had been encrypted, then we wouldn't have had to worry about it because they would have been unreadable by the people that took them. So that is something that we can fix. Uh, we also can do a lot with the general public, right? Crowdsourcing is all the rage right now, both crowdsourcing and crowdfunding. And the fact of the matter is, we're way understaffed on the police front to deal with these cyber threats. As we pointed out, they don't have the budget, they don't have the training, and they don't often have the mandate because most of these cases are international. So we can't have a police officer in San Francisco or Austin, Texas, go make an arrest in Kiev or Moscow. It doesn't work like that. So we need new paradigms of safety and security online. And I think we can actually learn a lot from the world of epidemiology. If you think about an organization like the World Health Organization or the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, their goal is not to arrest somebody who has measles. Their goal is to contain the person who has measles and protect the rest of the community from them. And so our law enforcement model of arresting people that commit cybercrime doesn't scale and doesn't work, whereas an epidemiological model, getting to the root of the problem, solving it, and isolating people to protect them certainly would. We will never arrest our way out of this. 
uh, and we'll need more people to get involved. So I talk about crowdsourcing security. I mentioned that in my TED Talk, the need to do that. The fact of the matter is, is that we're going to have a shortage of personnel. You know, we have reserve Marines, we have reserve Army, reserve police officers. We do not have a National Reserve Cyber Corps, and we have tons of talented people, whether they be at universities, you know, whatever they're doing, gamers, it doesn't really matter, that have the technical skills. I would go ahead and have 100,000 people sign up, clear them, get them through background and investigations, give them security clearances, because there will come a time when we need all hands on deck. And frankly, our own security is way too important to just leave to the professionals. The last two things that I point out is the opportunity for us to get really serious about the cyber threat through what's called an incentive prize. You may have heard of the X Prize Foundation where they put up a big pot of money um, to make a difference. I'm working with X Prize now. We're hoping to launch in the coming years a $20 million Cyber X Prize where the people that can create the unhackable OS or the much less hackable OS operating system will be funded and so we can drive tremendous uh, innovation that way. And the very last thing that I talk about is a Manhattan Project for cybersecurity, right? If you think back to World War II, the United States faced an existential threat from the Germans who were building a nuclear weapon. We did not have a program. Einstein wrote the president, and they ended up building this Manhattan Project. We had over 120,000 people in the United States and around the world working 24-7 in secret to help us develop the technologies that could prevent Germany from attacking us with a nuclear weapon. And so we had a Manhattan Project. It brought together not just government, but private sector, academics, you know, individuals with a variety of skill sets. And we need something like that to vastly turn the ship around before we connect that next 50 billion or 200 billion devices to the net. So I think those are just some of the common and smart public policy steps that we could take. And I think that we can do it, right? It's just going to take time and intention. Uh, there's lots of scary stories about bad guys doing crazy, innovative things in the book. And it kind of reads a little bit like a sci-fi thriller in that regard. But uh, if you look forward, remember, we're the same people that put a man on the moon, right? President Kennedy said, by the end of this decade, we will land a man on the moon. We did that, right? We're human beings. We're like, you know, not that far away from apes, and we put a man on the moon. So if we can solve that problem, surely we can solve this cyber problem. We're just going to have to get our butts in gear. I think that's that's a great set of points. I love that. And, you know, honestly, I look at this stuff a little differently. That 17-year-old punk in Moscow, I'm not like, you know, he should be arrested. I mean, yes, he should, whatever. But here's, here's the truth. Target knew at some level, and I shouldn't say that I have any knowledge of this because I don't necessarily, but they they weren't like, this thing is definitely secure. They were like, and eh, nothing's going to happen. That was their outlook. But then when something did happen and they had to buy identity stuff, you know, theft protection for millions of people, and then they had to explain the media, their shares went down, they had a crazy loss of business, people were scared to shop there. Now they go, you know what? This thing's going to cost $15 million to secure. That is a drop in the bucket compared to what we're going to lose in business if this thing goes wrong. So they invest in this because before there's no reason that my friend who's like 34 is running all of security for all of Target cyber. I mean, that's insane. They have more guys in one store making sure you don't walk out with a pack of spearmint gum than they do securing all of the stores that they have all over everywhere. 
That is a great, great point, which is we understand how to do physical security because we've been doing it for centuries, right? We have nation states, we have countries, we've got borders, we've got guards, guns, customs, immigration. We understand how security works in the physical world. We have no idea, frankly, how security works in the online world. And as you point out, it's much harder to handle. It's international. So you don't just need to worry about the guy coming into your store in Minneapolis who's going to steal a pack of razors and, and go out the door. Uh, but you need to deal with all the other people who could steal your razors, you know, metaphorically, in Kiev and Lagos and El Salvador. So, right. Um, it's very, very difficult. And you're right. This does grab people, uh, people's attention. In the book, uh, Future Crimes, I quote a statistic from something called the Ponymon Institute. So they've done studies of thousands of companies. And what they basically come up with is the cost for every stolen record from a business is $206 for every single record that was stolen. So $206 times, uh, you know, 100 million records. So that's $206 times Hundred million records gives you a feel for what the lost was at Target. Why is it two hundred and six bucks? Because the first thing they do after the hacking is they have to investigate the incident. They have to call in outside consultants. They need to get all hands on deck. They need to notify their customers. They need to replace credit cards at $5.11 each. They need to pay for credit monitoring. They need to defend themselves from lawsuits. They need to bring in outside PR firms. Then they, after they get sued, then, of course, the company's stock goes down. They lose valuation. There are shareholder lawsuits, you know, customer churn. As you pointed out, this happened to Target during the Christmas rush. They lost a huge amount of business that year. So it may seem like this will never happen to me, but uh, look at what happened to Target. Damn. So what can we do just to wrap? What can people listening out there do to help? Because I'm not going to go, you know what? You're right. I need to recode Mac OS X like right now. I can't do that. So what do I do besides putting a piece of ugly duct tape over the MacBook camera to protect myself? Yeah, that's a great point. So there are things that individuals can do and there are things that businesses can do. And I go through uh, quite a few of these in the last three chapters of Future Crimes. But just off the top of my head, one of the things I did was I created something called the Update Protocol, U-P-D-A-T-E, uh, something that's simple and easy to remember. And I'll have an infographic on this as well that I'll be putting out. But basically, update each letter, first letter of the word uh, stands for something the update protocol, the U, the P, the D, each one stands for a tip that people can use to go ahead and protect themselves. So I can take you through that if you like, and it, it'll reduce people's threats by 85% yeah, let's if do they that. follow it. Let's do that Great. real quick. So U, update frequently. Most people don't update their software enough. When you think about it, how many times have we all gotten those little alerts on our phones or on our computers saying, oh, a new version of Flash is available, a new version of Firefox is available, and sometimes we update, sometimes we don't. But when you see those, guess what they're really saying is, our old version of this software was completely pwned, it was hacked, and it was full of security bugs, and now we're giving you an update, right? They don't tell you that part. Uh, they just say, oh, you should update, and it is a good idea um, because hackers go ahead and are constantly building new threats. So every time you update your computer, theoretically, you are fixing those old threats. So update frequently, and you'll be in good shape. Uh, and set that to do so automatically. So you can set all of these updates to occur in the background automatically. I recommend you do that. The P in update protocol stands for passwords. 
we all hate passwords. The password must die. But for right now, they are with us. And so most of us, the majority of people use the same password on multiple sites. That's a terrible idea because if your one password, say your Facebook password gets hacked, now people can get into 20 of your other accounts. So you need to use different passwords for every site, which is a pain in the butt. The good news is there are things called password wallets or password managers that can make this much easier for you. And you can download them as apps or from the Apple Store. Now, I specifically recommend a few companies. There's one password, last password, KeePass, and another company called Dashlane. These are known, reputable companies. The reason why I focus on those is because you won't be shocked to learn that organized crime have created their own password managers and uploaded them in the Android store. So they want you to download their app, give them all your passwords, and have them rip you off. So use those ones that I mentioned. The other thing that you can do is something called two-factor authentication. So what that is, is it's a special app that runs on your phone. And with that, you can get a one-time unique login password for services like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, PayPal, Gmail. And what that means is when you go to log into Gmail, you'll get a text message alert on your phone with a, a unique password. If your account on Google is hacked and somebody doesn't have your phone, then they'll never be able to log in. So those are two things that you can do with your passwords, password manager and two-factor authentication. The third thing that I tell people to do is watch their downloads. The D and update is for download. Only download your software from official websites such as Apple's App Store or directly from a company's own verified website. When you go out there and download software from third-party websites or particularly on torrents, they are often completely filled with Trojans, viruses, and other bugs, right? If they're giving away the software for free, there's a reason for it, and you need to be careful of that. AN Update Protocol stands for Administrator. Most people, and you guys may know about this, run their boxes in administrator mode. What that means is when you created your logon or you created your accounts, whether it be on your Windows laptop or on your Mac uh, machine, you created an account and it has administrator privileges. Administrator privileges are the highest level of privilege. And if you only have one account on your computer, then it is an administrator account. The problem with that is, is when you have an administrator account, you have what's known as root access to your computer. That means you can make any changes, change system files and the like. Most of the people get that get infected by malware because they click on a wrong link or they open up an attachment that has been uh, tricked up and trapped by hackers. Once you click on that bad app or link, it can execute the code automatically with any additional permission. So when you're logged in as administrator, you click on a virus, the virus can run because as administrator, you have all the permissions you need to allow the virus to run. What I recommend people to do is don't run in administrator mode. Create a separate user account that you use for the majority of your surfing, your banking, you know, your gaming, your docs, whatever you want. Do that as a standard user, and then if you need to install software or whatever, you'll be prompted to enter an administrator password. And this way, you'll have a clue, hey, how come this Adobe PDF is asking for my administrator password to run, right? That'll be a clue there's a problem. Next, the T and update protocol is turn off. We keep our computers on all the time. We keep them connected to the internet all the time. When we do that, we're on the network 24-7, which means that we're on the network 
most of the time when we're not using the computer. That means that automated software bot attacks can go against your machine 24-7. If you just turned off your computer when you slept those eight hours a day, that means that you would cut your threat surface area, your risk, by a total amount of 33%. So just turning off your computer can make a big difference. And the same is true on your smartphone. Don't go around with your Wi-Fi, NFC, Bluetooth on at all times. Keep those ports closed until you need them because people can break into your smartphone by hacking your Bluetooth, hacking your Wi-Fi, and uh, your near-field communication. And the E in update protocol stands for encrypt. Two types of encryptions you want to use. The first one is encrypting your data at rest. If you have a Mac or a Windows PC, both of them come with built-in software that does full disk encryption. On the Mac, it's called File Vault, and on Windows, it's called BitLocker. And what this means is you can use special encryption to scramble all of the data on your computer so that if you lose your computer or it's stolen, people can't read it. So I strongly recommend that. And the second thing you want to protect against is data in transit, which means as it leaves your computer to go out onto the internet or even your smartphone. And to do that, you'll need what's called a VPN, a virtual private network. These are services that you can buy for, you know, 50 bucks a year. And what they do is encrypt the pipe leaving from your laptop to the broader internet. So when you're surfing at an internet cafe, you're hanging out at Starbucks, an airport, airport lounge, hotel, I'm sure you've uh, run across this yourself, Jordan, where yeah. you're at one of these public Wi-Fi networks. You can see everybody else's computer on the network. Oh, yeah. So I've checked into a Marriott and I'm using the Marriott's you know, Wi-Fi, and I can see everybody else's iTunes, you know, on my floor. So people can see what you do if you're not using a VPN. So get a virtual private network and use it to protect your data. I actually did the research on VPNs a while ago because I'm, I want to work from a cafe sometimes. And someone's like, oh, here's a bunch of money for Art of Charm program or something like that. And I've got to go into PayPal or, you know, some my girlfriend, she works from home as well, and she's doing tax documents, and it's like, right. we don't want that crap floating around at some coffee shop, especially in San Francisco, where half the people in the coffee shop are friggin' hackers, white hat or black hat. And so uh, I've got, I'm going to link this up in the show notes, actually, Laura will throw this in the show notes. I've got the best rated VPN. It's cheap. It literally is like 50 bucks a year. You can use it on your phone. You can use it on your computer. It's not, it doesn't require a bunch of savvy. You basically install it and it's like, hey, go in this system setting and click this. All right, you're good. And it's fast. It's actually as fast as my home internet connection. It doesn't lag. It doesn't slow down. It's really, really, really helpful. It's, it, it just makes me such a, a harder target. So I become not worth it at that point unless somebody's specifically targeting me and then they can all, provided they can also find me as well. That's exactly right. So going through that update protocol using the VPN program that you just recommended and some of the other steps, that can cut your risk by 85%, which is huge. We need to keep in mind that there's no such thing as perfect security, right? There is no perfect security, but you just want to use common sense. If you think about how you handle your car, if you took a BMW, you know, and you parked it in a bad neighborhood and you left the keys in the ignitions, the window down, the engine running and had 10,000 bucks on the front seat in an open briefcase, of course your car is going to be stolen. If you took that same BMW and locked it, put on a club, had low jack, you know, used an alarm, parked it in a well-lit area, your car can still be stolen, right? 
you'll be way more protected, but somebody can still come by with a tow truck and take your BMW away. So there's no perfect security. I'm just trying to get people with future crimes to do the equivalent of the common sense stuff. Lock your front door, take the keys out of your car, close your windows, you know, when you're away on vacation, and you can reduce your threat by 85%. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. The pleasure was mine. Wow, that was pretty interesting. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, that was amazing. And uh, how about that cool checklist, man? I mean, everybody with a computer needs to get on that stat. Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't know how to encrypt my hard drive, but I'm going to do that. Because if I don't know. I just figured I saw that before, and I was like, this is going to run hella slow, right? I, no, it won't, actually. I run it on mine, on my all my Macs, the built-in File Vault 2 stuff. You'll never notice a difference. So it should just come like that. Why would you not inc- encrypt your hard drive ever? Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of freaky because, you know, I cover my MacBook camera and stuff because I'm, like, paranoid about that after DEF CON, Black Hat, hanging out with hackers and stuff like that. But pretty soon it's like, well, I've got my lights hooked up to the Internet. You know, I've got those Philips Hue lights. Those are awesome. And it's like, oh, eventually I'll have my thermostat. Okay, so you turn my AC on or you turn my heat way up, and I'm like, oh, some jerk packed into my thermostat. Big deal. But there's going to be things where it's like, oh... Some jerk turned my fridge off when I went on vacation. All my food's ruined. I mean, even then, it's like, oh, ha, ha. But there's going to be more serious stuff, like self-driving cars. I think about that all the time, and it's like, what happens when someone's like, drive all cars off bridge? And it's not even self-driving cars. It's happening right now with regular cars. People can get into your cars with simple hacks. Like, people were stealing cars by basically cloning fobs that they could get just from the, you know, a standard dealer. Clone those, figure it out, get in your car. Anything with a processor can be hacked. We just need to start being careful. And I'm, we talk about this on my show all the time. I am terrified for the day where I cannot buy a television with a camera in it. Without a camera in it, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, the fact that Samsung has to warn us that the TV's listening, dude, that is not cool. You know, I'm all sitting here like, well, my TV's listening, wah, but my phone obviously is already doing that. Yeah, and the Xbox with the Kinect, those have been listening for a couple years now. And people just bring this stuff into their home and not realizing how dangerous down the road it's going to be because security is almost always an afterthought. Yeah, that's a good point. Nobody's thinking like, oh, I don't have anything important. But then your wife's walking around friggin' naked or something or your daughter or your kids, you know, your teenage and some dork is streaming it or saving it to blackmail your kids. I was serious when I said if people see me naked, it's their problem. Like, I don't care. But you know, that, that's not that's not going to be the same attitude that I have when I have kids and family. Yeah, it's a complete invasion of privacy. And this stuff is definitely coming down the road. So anything you can do to get ahead of the game and just kind of learn to protect yourself before it gets here, then you are going to be better off than 99% of the public who just is learning this stuff as they go. You know, I definitely would check out this book. It, it comes out today called Future Crimes. And it sounds like it's going to be awesome because everything that he covered We've been covering as well, and everything is correct. He is spot on. Covering on your show, Grumpy Old Geeks, right? Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, so go check that out, Grumpy Old Geeks. We can link that up in the show notes. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show is a fanarchy. It's run by you guys, the fans. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone like Mark Goodman who's a good fit for the show, let us know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Mark on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Bootcamp details, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. We've got a really interesting group of guys 
this week from Denmark, Norway. So it's like a Scandinavian contingent. We got a guy from Brazil, a guy from Argentina, and of course, guys from all over the U.S. and Canada. And if you've been listening to this, but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep, it's the best way to make sure you don't miss anything and get hacked in shit. Um, of course, we've got our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and slash Android Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production and, of course, guest co-hosting on the Art of Charm podcast. And go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to the Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. Podcast.com.